I want to read uh, this. It's a short passage. I want to read it again. And I want us to, to, to focus in on this passage for a moment. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out to, in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourself, yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, go and rise, your faith has made you well. Uh, to start this, this time, uh, I'd, I'd like us to do something together. Uh, I'm going to invite you, and if you're uncomfortable, you don't have to do it. Uh, but if you're comfortable with it, I'd, I'd like us to close our eyes for, for a, a little bit, and I want you to think of two things that you're really grateful for this morning, and express that to God, what you're grateful for. Let's, let's take a, a moment and do that. Amen. Well, Luke, Luke begins this miracle story, which is unique to this gospel, by drawing our attention again to Jesus' journey. Uh, this is actually, if you look at Luke, this is the fourth in five miracles in this journey section. He uh, drives out the demon in a mute in chapter 11. He heals a crippled woman in chapter 13. He heals a man with dropsy in chapter 14, and then after this one, he heals a blind beggar in chapter 18. And you'll notice that as you look at the bigger picture, that Jesus is moving east to west along the border between Galilee and Samaria. In other words, this journey section in Luke is not a straight line journey. It's more of a journey of fate. And you've heard me talk about divine serendipity. It's God orchestrating events and working in our lives. And this miracle stands out because it contains a double level of cultural tension. Since the main figure is both a leper and a Samaritan. A Samaritan, sorry. I don't know if you can get two bigger strikes against you than to be a leper and a Samaritan. The lepers were culturally isolated because of their sickness and Samaritans were disliked by the Jews to not say hated, for their religious defection and for being racial half-breeds. Uh, so it's interesting in this story that the one that comes back to give thanks is both a Samaritan and a leper. Just the idea of a Samaritan leper receiving God's help was undoubtedly shocking to many, since they had written off people in either group as being beyond help. As Jesus enters a village, he is approached by ten lepers. I think the fact that they drew near to him says much, since lepers were expected to keep their distance from other people. What they seem to have known about Jesus tells us that he was approachable, 
And yet they call to him from a distance, honoring the Old Testament command not to mix with other people. And here they are, these lepers, ten of them. They, they ask for mercy. They say, Master, have pity on us. See, they have no way of solving their situation themselves. This is a cry for compassion. And it's a request that came frequently to Jesus. They wanted to be healed. And Jesus immediately removes any doubt about his desire to show compassion. Those who come to him receive relief, even from a distance. He tells them to go and show themselves to the priest. Seems like an odd statement. And yet, that's what the law commanded. If you were healed, you'd show yourself to the priest so that he could verify that you were healed. One does not go to the priest until he or she has been healed. So Jesus telling them to go show themselves to the priest indicates that healing will occur. And if they believe Jesus, they will obey. It seems interesting to me as I look through miracles in the New Testament specifically that Jesus frequently required some measure of faith in order to heal. There's always something that you and I do. This believing, this trusting, this faith. And as the lepers turn, they're healed. This event pictures God's amazing grace. You see, the healing allows these men to return to a normal life. They could go back to their spouses and their families. They could go back to a normal life, whereas their leprosy relegated them to being abandoned and separated from the community. <clears throat> well, as the story goes, one of the men breaks from the group. Full of praise for God, he returns and falls at Jesus' feet, offering thanksgiving for his cleansing. One, one out of ten. Ten percent. And Luke notes in his story, and by the way, if you read the Gospel of Luke, all four Gospels have different emphases, but the Gospel of Luke seems to be the story of the outcast, the marginalized. And he frequently picks people that Jesus reaches out to that are outside of what we would call grace. Luke notes that the man is a Samaritan. He's an outsider. And then Jesus notes that although ten were healed, only this foreigner or pagan or heathen, as the word is translated here, has taken the time to stop and praise God for his work. And so, of course, Jesus asks, where are the other nine? Where are they? And his follow-up remark to the Samaritan is actually similar to what he says in 7 verse 9 when he talks about the centurion's faith. And he commends it as being something that he hadn't even found in Israel. Or in 7 verse 47 where he talks about the love and faith of the sinful woman in Simon the Pharisee's house. Luke pulls out these examples of those that we would say are useless, are not worthy, they're marginalized, and yet they demonstrate faith and God accepts them and heals them. In other words, Jesus does two things simultaneously here. He commends the example of gratitude in the Samaritan, and he also shows that the response to him is possible from those outside, the unlikely, the outcast. In fact, in some cases, those most sensitive to the gospel come from the outside. I refer you to the parable of the wedding feast in Matthew 22. 
the last of a row of three parables that basically kind of call out the religious leaders of the day. And it makes me wonder, is our lack of gratitude, if we identify with the nine who didn't come back, is our lack of gratitude sometimes a result of entitlement thinking? To the grateful leper, Jesus issues a final encouraging commendation. He tells the man that his faith has made him well. Jesus is probably saying that although ten have experienced the blessing of physical healing, only one has actually demonstrated faith that has turned to establish the ties with Jesus that indicate the presence of salvation. He's also experienced spiritual healing. The deliverance that Jesus affirms here is greater than the healing that the man had experienced. He has learned everything that the miracle can teach him. Faith and salvation again merge. Jesus continues to minister to any who reach out to him. And by the way, this morning, if you are hurting and struggling, you can reach out to God because he is compassionate and he is listening. None is turned away. When people cry for pity, Jesus offers it. God is not an ogre who hoards his compassion. And needs persuading to exercise it. I thought I was doing okay. I'm doing okay. Just lost some really close friends this week. God is not an ogre who hoards his compassion and needs persuading to exercise it. Sometimes all he asks is that we approach him humbly on his terms, recognizing that he's ready to help. He's ready to help. And and as Hebrew says, we don't have a high priest that doesn't understand. He's actually experienced everything. I'm not going to go into details about what the humiliation uh, looked like when one was crucified, but he's experienced extreme humiliation, and he knows our grief and our sorrows. The gratitude the Samaritan leper showed represents a fundamental response of faith to God's work. He appreciated his restored life, and he expressed his appreciation to God. That's also why I said this morning that gratitude is not merely a feeling. It, 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 it's going to express itself in something more. It's not just a feeling. And yes, Luke is full of passages where people take time to thank and praise God. Praise is important. That's part of the reason we sing. I kind of hate singing this morning because it, it, it's emotional, right? And I was trying to hold it together. But it's important that we praise It reestablishes our relationship with God on its proper terms. It's important. We appreciate his activity in our lives. And in the communion of praise comes the cleansing of the attitudes that life often implants in our hearts. 
It allows us to recount God's goodness. And he has been good. We should stop frequently in the midst of life's activities as the Samaritan did and give thanks. I think a healthy proportion of time spent with God reflecting on his care and his goodness might save us from the bitter pills we tend to swallow because we move so hectically through life. It's actually really good medicine. The reaction of the nine in not returning to thank Jesus shows how often we tend to take God's gracious actions for granted. That's a sin in and of itself. Jesus uses this event to teach a lesson about gratitude to God. How grateful the men should have been for the providence of God that brought Jesus into their area, for the love that caused him to pay attention to them and their need, and for the grace and power of God that brought them their healing. So much to be thankful for. And how often do we take our blessings for granted and fail to thank the Lord? Yeah, and as I said the other day, too often we're content to enjoy the gift, but forget the giver. We're quick to pray, but slow to praise. I'm reminded of a song that Martin Rinkhart wrote, Now Thank We All Our God. Many of us know this hymn. What you need to remember is that Martin wrote that during the Thirty Years' War, when his pastoral duties were very difficult. He conducted more than 40 funerals a day on some occasions, including that of his own wife. And yet he wrote those marvelous words as a table grace for his family. In spite of war and the plague that surrounded him and the sorrow within him, he was able to give thanks to the Lord from a grateful heart. And folks, this morning, I want to encourage you, no matter what you are experiencing, no matter the challenges and the difficulties, like that famous poem about the footprints, God has not left you or forsaken you, he is with you. And there is, I'm not talking about denying the reality of what we experience when it's difficult and painful, I'm talking about recognizing that there's more to the picture, that God is part of it and he is faithful. I want to close by giving you eight benefits of gratitude. Eight reasons why you and I should be grateful. I feel I need to pad my argument. Number one, gratitude glorifies God. Gratitude glorifies God. I think this would be reason alone to give thanks to God. Our, our gratitude glorifies God as we exalt not the gifts but the giver. When we point attention to him and we glorify him. It helps us to realize that all we have comes not because of us, but because of God. So number one, gratitude glorifies God, and we want to glorify Him. Number two, gratitude helps us see God. So often it's when you get mired in the circumstances, you can't see anything but the circumstances in front of you. And, and you have to lift your gaze. Doesn't mean ignoring or denying the circumstances, but it means lifting your gaze and recognizing that God is there. <laughs> Gratitude opens our spiritual eyes. The more we thank him, the more we see him working in us and around us. 
Gratitude helps us to sense his presence, his care, and his per- perfect timing. As James says in chapter 1, verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. So we see God. Gratitude helps us to see God in the midst of our circumstances. Number three, gratitude brings peace. I wonder how Martin conducted 40 funerals a day and still had peace. Seems daunting. Gratitude helps us see that God's hand is all over our circumstances. When we give him thanks, he gives us supernatural peace. Peace that passes all understanding. As Paul wrote in Philippians, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, not for every situation, in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So there's this promise of peace in the midst of the storm. There can be peace. Number four, gratitude brings contentment. If we aren't grateful for what God has given us, getting more won't satisfy us either. I kind of think that's the case. I think being grateful, being thankful, is the key to contentment. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul wrote, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and neither can we carry anything out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. Number five, gratitude deepens our faith. I built this altar of rocks, 12 stones, as a way of remembering, remembering God's faithfulness. And once we're done this series, I will buy those stones and put them in our backyard so that Diane and I can reflect on them. Gratitude deepens our faith. Keeping a record of God's past faithfulness is a faith boost when we face new difficulties. He's carried me all of these years. He's carried me through this, and he is still faithful. Even on our hardest days and in the worst circumstances, God's record of faithfulness is still 100%. Psalm 136, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Gratitude deepens our faith. Number six, gratitude leads to joy. I think that the overflow of gratitude is joy. Realizing God's abundant goodness, even in the hard times, is a gateway to joy. As the returning exiles, after experiencing exile... As they returned, Psalm 126.3 says, The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. They were singing. They were full of joy because they recognized what God had done. They were grateful, and so their experience was gratitude, which led also to joy. Further, gratitude guards against envy. Envy makes us want some, what someone else has. Gratitude makes us realize that God has given us far more than we deserve. A grateful heart has left no room for envy. 
grateful heart leaves no room for envy. And finally, you know that your pastor is all about missions. I make no excuses. Gratitude is a testimony. Gratitude is a testimony. When we thank God openly and acknowledge what he's done for us, we proclaim a personal, caring God to the world around us. Uh, to, to, to walk through life and not be grateful, it's, it's, it's pretty hard to sell peace to your neighbor if you don't have it yourself, let me say. I, I think evangelism is first modeling a relationship with Christ that other people then want. It's not necessarily browbeating with your logical arguments and your theology, browbeating someone into heaven. It's about reflecting what you have, and part of that is the gratitude that fills your life. When we thank God openly and acknowledge what he's done for us, we, we proclaim a personal caring God to the world around us. Maybe that's part of what neighboring is, is loving your neighbor, not seeing him as a project. We show that peace and contentment come not from what we have, but from who we know. Give thanks to the Lord and proclaim his greatness. Let the whole world know what he has done. This week, got to give you homework. Got to give you some homework. Are you able to join the Samaritan leper this morning in expressing gratitude to God? Maybe our homework this week is to express a few gratefuls at the start of every day, the close of every day. Express some gratefuls. Does your faith cause you to trust, rejoice, and express gratitude to God? as he accompanies you and carries you through the speed bumps of life, the challenges, the heartaches, the sorrows. Are you able to be grateful because God is always 100% faithful? He's always with us. My prayer for you this morning is that you will Find a way to be grateful. I realize that um, we've had two years of uh, a bit of a challenge with the pandemic, with everything else. Uh, in some cases, it's ruined relationships in families, etc., etc., etc. But part of healing and part of of being healthy is having a grateful heart in the midst of all of it, to be grateful. Let's pray and then I'll ask Mo to come up in case there are some comments or questions that we'll uh, respond to and then we will uh, spend some time singing again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we recognize that, that maybe there are times when a spirit of entitlement creeps into our hearts and minds. And uh, we recognize that there are times where we've uh, sometimes treated you like a vending machine, prayer in and answered prayer out. Uh, there are times where, where we have not had a heart of gratitude like we should.
So this morning, we ask that you would, um, by your Holy Spirit, um, do that work in our heart, that you would create in us a spirit of gratitude, a spirit of joy, of peace, and that we would be able to thank you with pure hearts and entrust, entrust our circumstances to you, recognizing that you are sovereign and that you are loving and that you uh, will walk with us through all of life's challenges. Thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' precious name and for his sake. Amen. Okay, I have one comment, and so I'll wait for a few more to come in because I'm guessing they'll, there might be a few more. It just says, Ebenezer, what's yours? I have a mug. Hmm. Um, um, this idea of an Ebenezer, here I raise my Ebenezer um, yep. to, as a, here's the place that I remember, this is what I'm choosing to remember. Do you have something tangible that helps you to to remember? Hmm. I don't know, do you have anything? Um, well, I have my 12 rocks right here. <laughs> yeah. Um, one, of the, one of the courses that I taught at SBC when I was there was biblical theology, which in a nutshell is getting off the dance floor and up into the balcony and seeing big picture. And as you've heard me say, a scripture from the fall in Genesis to Revelation is actually an account of God's efforts to restore what was lost. And, and we're part of that narrative. We're part of that, that God's faithful plan and efforts to restore what was lost and to redeem us. And so when I look at God's faithfulness throughout Scripture, and then I look at God's faithfulness in my own life, um, that's my Ebenezer. Um, because I, I, I see it in my own life. I see it there. I, I can point to cases of divine serendipity where where I know that God orchestrated an encounter or an event or something. I have no idea how many times he protected me from danger when I drove through the mountain pass in the middle of the night in Nicaragua, singing hymns in my helmet to keep my fear down. Uh, but he did, right? And I can point to many of those, and probably most of us can give testimony to that, how God has faithfully carried us. Well, and I'm wondering if that isn't, if, if the word testimony isn't, isn't the, the thing for us as a community of faith that, that helps to pull us into that place of remembrance, right? Um, as we share how God has been faithful to us. And, and it's a hard thing, I think, sometimes for, um, for some of us who have grown up making sure that we don't want to, you know, make more of ourselves than what we ought right? To be able to tell a story of God's faithfulness um, seems like, well, I don't, want to, I don't want to brag. But it's, it's actually not bragging about yourself. It's, it's the idea of bragging about who God is and what he's done for you. And, and I think it's important for us, and, and this is where when we talk about this idea of growing young and we talk about the idea of keeping generations together, um, for me, it's one of the things that, that uh, I, as I approach 
you know, I'm, I hit 45 this year. And as I approach that, that higher age bracket. Oh, you're old. I know. Man, I don't know what I'd do if I was that old. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, grateful. I appreciate that, Ernie. But, but as we, as I approach that, I, I realize that I, I, one of my responsibilities is that I need to share the stories of God's faithfulness. 100%. I need to share that with the people that are my age, but also very specifically with those who are younger than me. Yeah. Because, because they, can, they can see where, yeah. where God has been faithful. And, and let me just add to that. I, I don't want to throw the older generation under the bus. But when I study Anabaptist history, I find, and more specifically Mennonite history, our forefathers, when they managed to get out of Russia and come this way, they had gone through such horror during the Maknov era and whatnot all, they did not want to talk about it. So, so my great-grandmother, who passed away when she was 100, if I could sit down with her today, I can't, and ask her some questions, I'd really like to ask them. But, but so often those generations in our history have not passed on the story, especially the painful stuff. Well, that might then lead us, the younger ones, to think that everything was hunky-dory because you, you, never, you never were authentic or open and honest about the pain and the sorrow that you had here. Uh, my, I shouldn't talk about family, I realize that, but my own father talks about lifting his youngest brother, who I think was four or five, so that he could look into his dad's coffin. That's trauma. Okay? We're talking about that now when my dad is 90, 91. Now we're talking about it. Okay? So, so I think part of this journey is to be honest and real with each other, admit some of our struggles and challenges so that we can walk beside each other, encourage each other, and actually be a family. So, so what I'm saying is we don't just share how God has been faithful in the good times. We also talk about the struggles. Yeah, and that... That leads to the to the next question, and and there's a kind of a long longer preamble to it, but it comes to this: is what if you've gotten to a place in your life where where what you've done is cry out to God to take away a debilitating debilitating struggle, and God doesn't or hasn't? How can you be so certain that He is working if He hasn't over all this time? And and that's. Mm-hmm. And that's where, that's where it hits, right? Yep. And, and I, I thought about changing what I plan to preach on this Sunday to a sermon on what to do when God doesn't answer a prayer for healing. And I knew I wouldn't get through that. Because I just experienced that this week. Doesn't mean God isn't faithful. And, and he doesn't always answer the way we want him to answer. Um, in, in, our, in our church here, we've seen a case where one of our members was healed and, and brought home. Uh, his family was called three times while he was in a coma. And we, have, we also said goodbye to uh, a number of dear sisters in this church. Okay? So there are cases we can point to where God has healed and we thank him for it. There are other cases where he has chosen uh, to allow that person to come home. Uh, so, 
I guess it's, it, answers are never going to work here. Uh, yeah. well, but there, God knows. There isn't, there isn't an easy answer. The, the one thing that I, th- I think for me that I would encourage, uh, I, don't, I don't know who sent this question. Um, if we try and do it on our own, it's going to be really difficult. But as we take the opportunity to involve people around us that we trust and to invite them to carry the load of that situation and to, to work at that, um, I think that will give us a, diff- a, a, a different perspective. And, it's, uh, and I will say this to, to whoever asked this question and whoever is thinking about asking that question, we pray for you. We pray that, that right now, uh, we would love to see the work of healing in your life. And God invites us to ask for that. He invites us to ask and to say, God, we need you in this situation. And we want to be an encouragement to you. And I would encourage you to reach out to someone that you trust and to give them the opportunity to encourage you today. And we'll keep crying out to God. We'll keep calling out to him on your behalf as you walk through this. We've often taken that verse and reduced it too much. Genesis, God said, it is not good for man to be alone. And we think, oh, okay, that's the rationale for marriage. It's, it's, it's a lot bigger than that. We were not meant to be alone. And isolation is a great garden for sin. It's a great garden for failure. Uh, we, we, we're meant to live in community. We're meant to support and encourage one another. It is not good for any one of us to be alone. Um, as we function as the body of Christ and support and encourage one another, and yes, we need the work of the Holy Spirit to, to, to be in that and to fuel that, but that's the context in which we're able to actually make strides forward. Um, so I, isolation is never, never a good thing. And I, I know some, some, uh, some of you have experienced a fair bit of isolation in the last couple of years because of an inability to visit and, and connect and get together. And so it's been hard. I think that my last word on this is that gratefulness is, uh, is a fruit of the Spirit. Yep. And if we are at a place um, where we are struggling with gratefulness, uh, maybe one of the answers is for us to, is to take some more time with God yep. and to invest in our relationship with Him. Um, and if some of you take vitamins, add gratefulness to your vitamins. <laughs> Yeah, add gratefulness to your vitamins. It'll be re- it'll be a game changer. All right.